0: connection podcast network it's aaron i'm back and here we go with a new project now the last project i undertook was called the year that was still in the archives on the north south connection podcast network and it was a crazy undertaking not to be confused with a crazy undertaker i watched nearly 400 pay-per-views ranked the matches look it was dumb all right It was a dumb, insane thing to do. But it birthed what I thought was a tremendously fun, creative endeavor. And this is in spite of what my former family has to say about it. But now, see, I've got all this data, right? Or data, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And I still feel somewhat motivated to produce something creative. So here we go. In an attempt to break down the greatest WWF, slash WWE wrestlers of all time. It's going to only be WWF, guys. I'm working through WCW. I'm trying. I'm working through TNA. I'm trying. But fuck, there's only so many hours in a day. So we're going to look at this a little bit differently than we did the year that was. I'm going to be scoring wrestlers um, out of 10 in 10 categories. And that means the 10 categories are narrative. So what I'm looking for in narrative is does their story arc work top to bottom as a consistent and coherent story. Next category is face work, then heel work, in-ring work, not to be confused with matches because in-ring work is what I think of their actual work. Matches, which I really, I'm just using my pay-per-view scores. It's an average of all their matches, which will be doubled to be out of 10. Promo ability, importance, presentation, feuds, and moments. And this gives us a score out of 100. Um, and I think that's a nice round number that everybody can always... It's an easy reference point, 100. Because I had a bunch of different systems in place to do this, but none of them would have made any coherent sense in terms of like how you would view the data or data or whatever. I'm going to go with data, but not the Android. Um, a bit different than the year this was, I'll be building the rankings as we go as opposed to coming into the project with everything being ranked. See, year that was, was a reveal show. The wrestler that was, is a discovery. And see, I wanted to see what made these characters tick beyond just in-ring work. Obviously, caveat, this is obviously all subjective. And I don't claim that my opinions uh, are above or better than anyone else's, okay? I just want to have a fun look at these guys where we celebrate their successes, laugh at their failures. And as we go further... I will also be courting everyone for audience feedback. But I wanted to think, drop this one first and kind of gauge the response and see how it was, okay? Actually, the first two or three are probably like that because I'm probably going to be recording them uh, before I go away on a trip, all right? Like, the, like I mentioned, like the year that was, I did try many systems to make this work. See, my original idea was, uh, once again, to base everything entirely off match scores. So, and then, like, so you have your match score. Was someone the wrestler of the year? Was someone... Uh, did the guy have like the best match on any number of shows or the worst match and be a plus minus system. And it gave numbers like, um, 3.21 and stuff like that, which t- it is no comparison. That's why I think hundred is actually be better. And, um, I thought, I-, I thought that like by doing it that way and going to stats, it would be more objective. But I mean, Christ, if I'm the one ranking the matches based on my preferences, then, like, look, I'm no more objective than Bobby Heenan at a Ric Flair cocksucking convention, right? Instead, I'm going to use my biases to rank guys to rank guys to rank guys slightly more holistically, as JT and Marcus say on Wrestling War. I have zero idea if it's going to work. So, first on the docket, there's a bit of a pattern I'm trying to build with these things. The idea is to uh, take someone from each era, so I don't get bored. So, first on the docket. One of my favorite guys as a kid, Jake the Snake Roberts. Now, I know in the past, he, along with Ted DiBiase, have been pretty maligned by me on podcasts based on their pay-per-view output. And I think, I was trying to think about where that stemmed from, and I think it's from the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. See, before that DVD, I wasn't even close to being a giant warrior, Mark. I think I held the same opinions of him that the masses of the internet do. He sucked. But then I kept hearing Ted and Jake talk about how shitty a worker he was. I kept thinking, well, guys, he's, he has way better matches than both of you. Working with the same guys. And I felt they just both came off super bitter. Now, consequently, I think I may have been a bit too hard on them, right? And as modern WWE is proving to me, you can have a card full of four-star matches, but that doesn't mean I want to watch your show. So yes, matches do matter, and the bad should be weighted here. It's just going to be weighted a whole lot less. And I'd like to think that this will hopefully give a balanced look at each guy. And I hope we see. So like I said, as a kid, I thought Jake was super cool. I wasn't a huge fan of his 1996 run, but I also didn't think it was bad or anything. And Jake's an interesting guy to start with, I think, because he's such an interesting and unique performer. One of the most unique performers in company history. So let's deal with the first category, narrative. So let's go through Jake's story because Jake has quite a story. So this dude comes into the promotion in 1986 and appears for all intents and purposes that he's there to wrestle and make some money and perhaps put a snake on some people. And I know this probably sounds foreign to modern fans who believe that guys and gals only wrestle to get their WrestleMania moment. Back in the olden days, when guys were named after actual animals, they fought for money. I can't imagine a guy named Jake the Snake fighting for anything other than money. Or perhaps a chance to ruin a wedding. Only fake animals, like bear cats, fight for moments or TV time. And I can't imagine a guy like Jake storming into Vince's office and declaring, I don't have a path to wrestle mania. No, he wouldn't barge in there and say that. He'd just murder Vince or Jack Tunney with a snake. And they both knew. They both knew they'd be murdered by him. He's presented as a businessman. And yes, I'll give you that most businessmen don't carry large sacks with pythons in them. But this was the 80s. Who the fuck knew what was going on in those boardrooms? Jake was there to make money, plain and simple. It's actually the perfect motivation for a wrestler, as you can tie almost any and all actions that happen in the ring back to the motivation of wanting to get rich. That's why he wants the title, The Champ Gets Paid More Money. That's why he hosts a talk show in a fucking cave. They pay him to do it. Jake begins to make his way up the rankings and runs into a guy named Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Or formerly Richard the Dragon Steamboat. Now, a dragon, of course, is not a real animal. But let's face it, dragons are cool as fuck. And so is Ricky Steamboat. And the basis of their feud is Jake's attempted murder of Ricky by hitting him with a DDT on the floor. In reality, it wasn't really an attempted murder. It was more of a potential manslaughter case as Ricky was knocked silly. And Jake still dumped the snake on the dude, being the class act that he is. This, of course, culminated with a snake in Jake's corner and a dragon, quote-unquote, in steamboats. Now, of course, since no dragons were available, they went with a, quote, uh, Komodo dragon. And since that would have been insane and potentially life-threatening to bring into a building full of people, they went with a baby caiman with a bungee cord holding his mouth shut. The bungee cord, no doubt, provided by the trunk of Pat Patterson's Buick LeSabre. And apparently, for Jake, the sight of Steamboat on his knees holding this thing in the air produced the repulsory power necessary to just take Jake Red out of the ring. My God, what what a horrible afternoon in that building that must have been for Frankie. With a snake and an alligator playing a game of, can you top this? Jake would challenge for titles and endear himself to the fans until finally being assaulted by an Elvis impersonator inside a grotto. Apparently, the guitar is a more formidable weapon than the snake. Jake enlisted the help of Alice Cooper, and I'm supp- I guess this makes sense. If you're a snake enthusiast, then you're going to go ahead and enlist the help of other snake enthusiasts in y- to fight an Elvis impersonator. And it really is a shame that Steve Irwin wasn't around yet, because he would have for sure tagged and potentially bludgeoned Jimmy Hart to death. Despite losing the feud with the uh, honky-tonk man, things are pretty good for old Jake. He's giving guys concussions. He's putting a snake on him. I was never really clear if the snake was meant to be eating them or not. Um, either way, as a kid, this is incredible, right? My father, of course, when I was watching as a kid, insisted this is, this is he's like, that's not a real snake. That can't be a real snake. But I'm sure the dozens and dozens of frozen carcasses found in the back of Jake's trunk would beg to differ. Those are definitely dead, real dead snakes. So then he's making his way And then this dude starts trying to bang Jake's wife. Not only that, he starts wearing tights with Jake's wife's face over the penis. Of course, this incenses Jake, who would go on to ruin a perfectly good match between a stripper and a dancing dog at SummerSlam 88. Jake finally achieves some semblance of revenge as he fought ravishing Rick Rude on an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. He crushes him with the DDT, but in lieu of pinning him, he proceeded to try and take off his pants. Now this obviously brought in Andre the Giant to the rescue. Jake, though, had learned the lesson from the guitar attack. He knew now that the snake needed to be used as a ranged weapon. He tosses the snake at Andre, and it induces a giant-sized heart attack. This prompted Vince McMahon on commentary to say with a straight face, he must have been scared to death. Imagine a guy dying before your eyes, and your only response is, well, I guess he died of fright. This is the early evidence that Vince lacks the human feelings and is potentially a psychopath. And it turns out Andre was fine. And this attack bought Jake heavy beatings for the next six months at the hands of a giant. And the story thus far is that Jake starts a lot of fights, and either they fizzle out or he gets the shit choked out of him by a Giant for three straight pay-per-views. Jake continues to try and pile up wins and make some money. It's almost like he had some sort of debilitating habit that he had to maintain or something. He defeats Virgil in an episode of Superstars, only to be savaged by Ted DiBiase after the match. DiBiase shoves countless $100 bills down Jake's throat until he nearly dies. I'd take those $100 bills in my throat any fucking day, Ted. Then Jake steals a belt, turns an evil cop good because, heaven forbid, a a cop who just stole a man's pet except a bribe. And he ultimately ends up in the same place where we all end up. Wrestling matches while a guy dressed like a tennis player sprays your snake with cologne. Then, in one of these altercations, Jake gets sprayed in the eyes. And this, my friends, is where things start to go south for our hero. He's blinded by Rick Martel. Not only is he blinded, but he is told by the presiding physician that he will have to wait till next week. Next week, Jake. We'll only know the results next week, conveniently on Superstars to know if it would be permanent. Now Jake wants to kill Rick Martel. He's taken his sight. He comes back too early and suffers some humiliating defeats. he even got a win for power and glory. Do you have any idea how rare that is? Finally, Jake goes even darker and forces Martel to do the same. And Jake finally wins the feud conclusively. But, did he go too far? While still in this mental state, his pet, and long-time companion Damien is murdered by a fat man jumping up and down on him. Witnessing this, the mess in the bag, and the perpetrator serving snake burgers on an episode of Primetime clearly pushed Jake over the edge. The dude goes crazy because a man killed his pet. Who wouldn't? I know when my father killed my bird, I buried it deep, deep inside and wrote it into adaption of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Jake, is now locking dudes in rooms with cobras and hanging out with monsters and morticians. He goes to a wedding just to give a bride a cobra in a box. How evil do you have to be to plan that out? You save the date, you RSVP for the wedding, you choose a meal, then you pack a box in in such a way that A, the snake doesn't get out, and B, no one will know there's a snake in the box. And I got to imagine that's a very long conversation with a snake about discipline and not hissing during the wedding. And you know that wedding was long. They probably sang that fucking song together 15 different times. No way that song didn't play at Stephanie McMahon's actual wedding. Jake then goes even crazier, attacking people outright with King Cobras. Now, in fairness, I I will say, and I I think we got to be fair to Jake, just as we'd be fair to Flair, the snake apparently was devenomized by the lab. And if the explanation that this was in fact an accident was good enough for Jack Tunney, then who am I to say otherwise? And then he keeps, Jake keeps shitting on the craziest dude in the Imagine, Jake's not even the craziest dude in the promotion. He keeps shitting on the craziest dude in the promotion. until he finally, once again, gets the shit kicked out of him. He's not interested in money anymore. No, it seems like he's getting off on being pure evil and slapping around Elizabeth. He goes as far, like so far, that he turns a literal undead zombie into a good guy when he was going to smash Elizabeth's face all over the arena with a chair. This was the death toll for Jake as the undertaker killed him dead and ran him out of the promotion. He was gone for a few years, uh, but then he comes back a changed man. As one is wont to do when you have your pet killed and then your neck broken on the floor of the Hoosier Dome, he found Jesus Christ. And then he finishes off by thumping his Bible and talking about Psalms and John 3.16. He then gets hammered at SummerSlam 96 and finally... His tactics are turned against him as Steve Austin launches his snake at him in the 1997 Royal Rumble. No heart attack ensued. Perhaps then he saw that what he did to Andre was wrong. and He needed to get the fuck out of there and find Jesus again. See, Jake, in the narrative, was always consistent. His turns always made sense and were motivated by clear objectives. It never felt unnatural. He was an asshole out to make money. Then people started cheering him. By them cheering him, he makes more money, so he liked them back. Then some dude killed his friend, and he went nuts. The only criticism you could have with this narrative is that there might have been a few times where he might have felt a bit aimless, but then the problem is when he comes down to hunker down, holy shit, could this guy hunker, right? That being said, it really is a consistent story from start to finish, which I love. You can draw a straight line from the dude coming into the promotion to win money all the way until Austin throws that snake on his head. Every character twist and turn is motivated and consistent. It actually really is an incredible feat that very few guys are able to pull off. I can only think of one so far. But maybe I'll discover more as we go. So that lands Jake a narrative score of nine. I don't know how it could be better. I, I don't actually, like, if you're looking for consistency, like, I think Randy Savage is going to be the one that is the stalwart of this kind of thing where his, his whole run is one big story. But Jake has got... As I was going through it, he's up there. And I really think it's the timing of that heel turn that kind of helps sell that idea. Next category. Face work. I think Jake excelled as a face. He was able to garner sympathy whether he was fighting the insurmountable odds of Andre the Giant or a giant fucking pussy like the Honky-Tog Man. And this is no easy feat considering how big Jake is and was. Hell, he even got people to cheer him uh, when he was wearing that vest in 1996. And that's incredible. That's incredible. Can you imagine if Tatanka had worn a similar vest in 2001? That dude would be booed out of the building and then humiliated by Alliance leader Steve Austin. Take the vest off. Take the vest off. Take the vest off. Jake had an incredible connection with the fans. There was just something cool about Jake. There was no way you could continue to boo a guy in 1986 who had the balls to carry that giant python around. And fuck, who didn't want to see Jake whip out his snake and dump it all over an unconscious man? I think the only reason he doesn't get the tippy-top score here, so I'm going to go with an eight, is that he was never the A1 tippy-top guy and, but tippy, in terms of a face. But I actually don't know if he could be because there's just too much of a wicked edge to Jake. So eight on ten for face work. Now, heel work is a bit of a different story. As much as I love Jake as a face, he is pure freaking magic as a heel. His 1991 heel turn is easily one of the best heel runs of all time. And I don't care what anybody says. I love it so, so much. I think it's because you actually believed that Jake was this sinister guy. He comes out at Survivor Series 1991 in a Bill Cosby sweater and we're still afraid of him. And this was years before Bill Cosby was the biggest heel in Hollywood. Jake was literally the devil. He wanted to seduce you, right? Right? It was a character they would later try with Sean O'Hare and Kane but they both paled in comparison to Smiley and Jake Roberts. It's all under this guise too of bringing people to the dark side. I'm going to bring the ultimate warrior to the dark side. I'm going to lock him in this room but no, I'm going to fuck him up. I'm going to put him in a casket to teach him death but almost kill him. It, it, it's so fucking dark but he's so good at it. But again, to call back to the consistency I was talking about the narrative, When he says shit like, um, I've never changed. I was always the snake. Well, it's credible because you believed him. You believe this dude was the worst person on the planet. So I'm at a 10 for heel work. I I think he's legitimately one of the best heels of all time. And if that heel run was longer, holy shit. I I think we could have had something really special. Um, He's got basically four characters that he plays when he's in the WWE, WWF. I'm going to say WWF for him. I'm going to probably say it for everybody. Let's rank them. So the fourth, I think, is Born Again Jake. And I don't even think this is bad. Uh, He got huge pops. um, He carried around a big, veiny yellow snake. And yeah, he wasn't the same Jake in the ring. But he brought the character work, and I thought it worked well. Number three, uh, and when I say number four, I I think they're all good in a way. Number three is Original Heel Jake. Out to make money, out to be a bastard. But no way you could keep this dude heel for too long. Because Original Heel Jake wasn't really evil. You know? Number two is Face Jake from the 80s. And I think it really is just a a continuation of his original heel character, but like a bit more enamored with the fans. And Damien was a huge hit. And this is honestly like the perfect face gatekeeper for guys going up to fight Hogan or Warrior or guys coming down after having been soundly beaten by these immortal guys. And the number one, 1991, 1992 heel Jake. I mean, come on. How could it be anything else? He had his pet killed, he was blinded, and he just pushed him over the edge. He's ruining weddings, he's attacking with devenomized snakes, he's locking dudes' hands in a, cla- a casket. And all by, when he's doing all this shit, he's clearly having like an eight month long orgasm as the chaos around him happens. So, 10 for heel work. Next is in ring work. So, this is the nuts and bolts of what he does in the ring. I think Jake moved. I can't talk about his work without talking about how his move. I think he moved with a tightness and precision that actually few guys have. Let's get the obvious out of the way. He moved like a snake. And look, if I told a group of actors to move like a snake, you can bet your last dollar that they'd all hit the ground and and slither around and start hissing. Subtlety is not an actor's friend usually. But Jake got it though. Every move that he made in the ring was infused with the deliberation of a snake chasing his prey. He rolled into the ring in a unique way. Just the way he pulled himself up with the ropes in the corner was completely different. Even when he sit in the corner, it's it's so it's so different. It set him apart. He was ready, and like a snake waiting to pounce. All of his moves were always cinched in and tight. Headlocks looked like headlocks. Arm bars looked painful. Where he excelled, though, was in the explosiveness of his offense. For me. When he needed to wrench up the fire, he was incredible. That short clothesline before the the DDT looked devastating. The DDT itself was a revelation. What I love most about Jake's work was his quick jab punches. Much like how a snake pounces only when it's ready, those jabs come out of nowhere. Bam, bam, bam. He's kind of twisting his body or like in a circle as he's doing it. Oh, I love it. It's so simple, but it's great. There's a great urgency to them and they always pop the crowd big. On the selling end, I think Jake represents the just-do-it philosophy. Like when I'm directing actors and they ask me how to achieve big emotional states, I'm, I'm always like, just do it. Just try, push, see if it's fake at first, but just try it and see where it takes you. I think Jake was like this with his selling. Not that it was fake, because it never was, but he just gave in to whatever was happening to him. Like watch his body language as Andre chokes the life out of him. It's perfect. Even when he must sell something as ridiculous as perfume to the eye, Jake attacks it with such gusto like and such incredible uh, passion that it almost makes you believe that for that moment, that that bit is not part of the show. It looks like an accident. So in terms of his work in the ring, how he moves and stuff like that, I'm going to go a seven. Um, like he's not Bret Hart. Um, who would probably score a 10. And I'm, again, we'll get to Bret Hart, obviously. He'd probably score a 10 in his work. Uh, but he's, he's damn good. And way better than what his matches say. And that brings us to the next, <laughs> the next category, matches. And I think this is where Jake suffers a little. And as much as I love how Crispy is in the ring and how he can imbue his character into everything he does, sadly, it doesn't always translate into great in-ring matches. So, of all the pay per view matches I watched, his match average is 2.675. Now, I'm going to be totally transparent. If I went through all of his matches on Saranis Main Event and House Shows, that would probably go up a bit. But it's not going to go up that much because by this point, I think I have like 20 or 30 matches. We'll get to it, I think. Um, so, 2.675. So, that's going to give him a score in matches 5.356. So, about 50%. Not the best. Let's deal with his bottom five matches first. Jake's bottom five matches in the WWF. Number five. From SummerSlam 1996 versus Jerry the King Lawler. Two stars. Now, if I could be straight up here, as a 16-year-old jumping back into the product, this pay-per-view killed me in the best possible way. I loved all of Lawler's antics, including the pre-match comedy routine and shitting on the mediocre city of Cleveland. Watching it back, though... I find it kind of sad. If Jake was back to suffering from his diamonds, Kang, then he probably shouldn't have had the asshole from Memphis dumping booze down his throat. I tell you one thing, though. He totally, Jake totally sold the fuck out of that bottle shot to the throat. This is undoubtedly how his lovers got them the fuck out of their house when he'd had one too many. Number four. WrestleMania six versus the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Again, two stars. It's it's like it just doesn't happen for him on the biggest stage for whatever reason. Here we have two of the biggest underachievers of all time on the big stage going out and having a boring match based on what I thought was a pretty good feud. This thing was given the second most time on the show and it bored me to tears for most of it. And we can't even get a conclusive finish. From WrestleMania 4 to 6, Jake was involved in high-profile stuff that was never given a proper conclusion on the big stage. Could we really not beat Ted DiBiase here? He tried to asphyxiate Jake. He tried to murder him. He can't win. Number three. From SummerSlam 1990. Versus Bad News Brown. 1.75 stars. Look, we're going to boil this down to its simplest thing. Snakes versus rats. And that's dumb. Snake wins every time. You put a rat in somebody's house, look, they'll be disgusted, they'll call the exterminator. You put a giant python in their house, and they're abandoning that house. It's fuck it, it's the snake's house now. Also, again, we can't beat Bad News Brown in the summer of 1990? Number two, worst match. From WrestleMania five. Andre the Giant. One and a half stars, ten minutes long. And I think this is my biggest disappointment here because the, as much as I like the Tate DiBiase feud, this feud was so good. But I just think Jay, uh, Andre was just finished and Jake's not the guy to carry him. And then you got a lumbering and unnecessary Big John stud and you have all the makings of an all-time bad outing. Of course, the finish had little to nothing to do with Jake, but that seems kind of part of the course with this thing. I will add this, though. How much more over could the DDT have gotten if he had used it to beat Andre? Like If you have Andre killing him the whole match and then he hits the DVD, or even if he knocks him out with him after the match, there's probably something there. Jake's worst match of all time. Fuck, it's a sequence, right? It took WrestleMania 7 to break the sequence of bullshit for him. From WrestleMania 4 versus Ravishing Rick Rude. Tournament match, round one, one and a half stars. Good God, this thing is the worst. Once again, two guys who are supposed to be amazing. And they just go out and shit the bed. And and fuck that, they shit the whole bedroom. I get wanting them to both be eliminated from the tournament. To allow the one-man gang a bye as a concept. I get it. But couldn't they get counted out? Or murder each other with chairs? Or anything other than them fighting for 15 minutes? At this point, this is the longest match in the history of WrestleMania. Let that sink in. They gave these two more time than Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. They gave these guys more time than the mega main event from WrestleMania 1. And it's not like it couldn't have been good. It could have been fine. Watching it back, I get the impression that neither guy wanted to be there, right? Jake probably wanted to be in the back, banging back some tall ones. And Rude probably wanted to be banging Cheryl Roberts. There was... Zero urgency from both guys. They sit around in rest holds. And I mean rest holds. It's not cinched in. And it's minutes at a time. They're just laying there. Even as the time limit gets closer, they do nothing to sell that they're both on the verge of elimination. If you want a great example of what this should look like, watch that match from Beach Blast 92 between Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude. Watch Rick Rude in the last minute so I know he can do it. I would rather watch Terry and the cat, Ahmed Johnson their way through a match rather than watch these two. And these two are capable of greatness, but they're sleepwalking through the most important tournament in company history. Lack of effort kills me here. I don't know what they were thinking, but we deal with the bad so that we can deal with the good top five matches in Jake's career in WWF from Survivor Series 88, Jake and his team. Versus Andre the Giant, Dino Bravo, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, Harley Race. Three and a half stars. And I know it's hard to single out people in these matches. But I think Jake deserves it here. And the match is a ton of fun. Because Jake goes down four on one. And he does an admirable job of fighting off the heels for a while. He finally gets revenge on Rick Rude for sexually harassing his wife. By soundly pinning his shoulders to the mat. Because I know if someone assaulted my wife or threatened my kids, a schoolboy would show them who's boss. Then Andre says enough is enough and chokes Jake to death. And I just really dig the story here. And it takes a guy like Jake to make it work. If the face goes down four to one, you have to actually believe that the face can pull it off for the fans to be somewhat invested. But Jake was that dude because not only did he have the special connection with the fans, but he had that killer move in the DDT that could put anybody down for a second. It's a great last stand until Andre's fed up. And I'm sure we'll get to this guy at some point. But this also has to be Dino Bravo's single greatest moment. For this one night, this one night, Dino Bravo felt like he belonged with the greats. Not in the back of some warehouse selling cigarettes. Number four, the 1992 Royal Rumble. He's not in that long, but I think Jake is so good here. Now this was chronicled um, on now entering the Royal Rumble with JT and I every other Monday running in tandem with this. Um, everything he does here is perfect. He graciously allows Roddy Piper to murder Flair, and this is impressive, because Jake's been trying to murder people for months at this point. Then he gets involved and beats both Piper and Flair down. He's constantly on the lookout for Macho Man, forms that great team with The Undertaker, and just he's just a fucking bastard in there. I think he made the absolute most of his time, and while the match is rightly remembered for Ric Flair, Jake really plays an incredible role. And I'd be remiss, and, I, and we talked about this on our Royal Rumble, But if I didn't mention how good and important uh, Jake was in the very first Royal Rumble match in 1988. In the Royal Rumble, you need someone that the fans will care about for the match to work. And in a very thin field in '88, Jake was that guy. And he does a wonderful job of getting the fans revved up with his offense, but also making them fearful on near eliminations. When he's finally bounced, the crowd's pissed. But he anchors that whole match. And it's possible that without his performance... The first match kind of fails, and as a consequence, even more people don't have a path to WrestleMania. Third best match, ooh, a little sneaker here uh, from SummerSlam 1988 versus Hercules, three stars. Um, I think this is a sneaky fun match from the first SummerSlam. Both guys are game, and they're actually given a good amount of time and go to go out there with. Hercules is another guy for whom the more I watch, the more I really like. Like Jake, his strikes look quick and powerful, and all of his other offense has tremendous impact. I just like it's fast-paced, two guys that can go, and we get an actual finish with Jake slipping behind Herc and dropping him with the DDT for the win. And it doesn't hurt Herc to eat the DDT. It didn't hurt anybody. All right, number two. It's a three-and-a-half-star match. See, so see, Jake doesn't score that high, but I do love these matches. From this Tuesday in Texas, 1991, versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. It's a sprint, but it's a great sprint. Savage is out for blood, and this is a beating of tremendous catharsis. Macho is all over him from the opening bell, and Jake's getting some menial offense in. Savage just keeps going until he crushes him with the elbow drop for the win. It's just a hate, like a fucking hate-filled brawl. Like, we never got much of that in the WWF despite people doing heinous things to one another. Like Al Snow was not filled with hate against the big boss man. The man killed his dog and fed it to him. And the the Savage-Jake match here is obviously enhanced with the post-match stuff. Not only does Jake drop Savage a ton with the DDT, but he slaps Elizabeth. And Jesus Christ, this was intense. I I didn't think there was a way. Machima was already mad for the wedding. I didn't think he could possibly get any angrier with Jake, but here we are. And then, so, the number one match of Jake's WWF career from WrestleMania 7, the blindfold match with Rick Martel. I think three and a half stars is fair. But if you told me you had this rated as a five-star match, I'd kind of be hard-pressed to argue against you. I do think in many ways it is perfect. Because the entire point of the match is to get the crowd engaged and screaming. And Martell and Roberts achieved that 100%. They kill it. And as crazy as it sounds now, it's the logical conclusion of a feud that began with a man spraying another man in the eyes with cologne. I don't know what else these guys could have done. And it's a testament to how over Jake was that when he needed to, he could quiet the crowd. He got them like deathly quiet. It was amazing. And then he'd point and they would cheer him in the right direction. The people were ravenous for Jake like, to kill him and have a victory. And then he wins the feud clean as a sheet. And special kudos to Rick Martel here too. All the stupid shit he does in the match is like a great rare instance of the WWF getting comedy right. The missed elbow drop. The moment where Jake runs around a backdrop. Hell, even the chair shot to the outside in the post. are Just a gold. He just looks so upset too after each of these failures. Like he knew better but just wasn't thinking. His body language, too, is masterful. It's crazy to me that this is Jake's best match. And I know there's some people that hate it. But in another way, it's kind of fitting that it's his best match. Because Jake was an outside-the-box kind of wrestler. Of course, his best work is going to be some sort of outside-the-box match. To this day, it's super memorable. I don't put it here by default. I could have put Savage Jake. But I think this is a really special, fun match. And I think both guys do a tremendous job. Next category, promos. <laughs> it's a ten. Obviously, we know we're, we know where we're going here. <sighs> There's little argument that Jake Roberts is one of the greatest promos of all time. He was so unique in a world of screaming maniacs that he was this measured guy who was straight to the point. He could be poetic. He could be menacing. He could get his point across with subtlety, like the subtlety of a seasoned actor. That resorting to screaming and yelling. And I think he had this really interesting ability of looking right at you through the camera. I mean, all the guys look and talk to the camera, right? But Jake felt like he was talking directly to me. Like he was staring right into my soul and telling me that no, 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 it was him that was the snake all along. So I'd like to look at two of his promos and kind of break them down a bit. And kind of t- talk about what makes them great. First, let's look at the classic promo before WrestleMania Six. Okay, I shit on the match, but I have nothing but awe for Jake's pre-match promo. Let's take a listen.
1: Jake the Snake Roberts, the match is at hand. Well, well, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Here we are at WrestleMania, and it's the biggest match of your career. Why? Because everything you stand for is on the line. Namely, the million-dollar belt. Oh, yeah. It can be yours once again. You see, all you have to do to get it back (laughs) is go through Damien and me. But you see, Damien and I don't forget, we remember all the times you made people grovel for your money. These were people far less fortunate than you. People who could use your money for essentials. And what did you do? You made fun of them, you humbled them, and you humiliated them. Well, now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg, DiBiase. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one that's humbled. This time, you'll be the one that's humiliated. And this time, you will be the one that grovels for the money. And how appropriate (laughs) that the money you grovel for is your very own. A victim of your own greed, wallowing in the muck of avarice. <sighs> Longfellow couldn't have said it better.
0: Okay, so he gets, you heard it, you don't have the visual, but I'm sure you've seen it. He gets brought in by Gene Okerland. and what's interesting right away, is he immediately appears as a man at peace with what he's about to do. He starts really calmly with a, well, well, well. It's almost casual. Like it's what needs to happen. I would also encourage you to listen, if you want to go back and do it, fine. But listen how he says Ted DiBiase's name. He tells us exactly how he feels about him with simply the tone of his voice. That's actually a major tell for fakeness in acting. When we talk about someone, if it's someone we hate, that bleeds into how we speak about them and how we speak their name. And what I love here is that Jake isn't coming from a place of hate. He's coming from a place of disappointment. And what a cool choice that is. It'd be so easy to come from a place of hate considering he stuffed dollar bills down his throat. Then he does a great job of selling. Selling the idea that it's Jake that has all the status in the match. He puts the ball in DiBiase's court by saying, it's not the most important match of my career. It's the most important match of yours, right? Listen to how he hits the word your, your career. You'll hear wrestlers emphasize pronouns all the time. It's awful, right? In the acting world, it's called pronounitis because people don't talk by emphasizing pronoun. I think you want a really clear example of someone who does it is Stephanie McMahon. She's the worst one. It's a lot of like, you are going to listen to me when I talk to you. Like it's, it it's, it's just, it's another one of those tells that someone's reading that off a script and doesn't really understand what they're saying because it's not how people speak. The only time you emphasize a pronoun is when you're contrasting. So here, Jake has it perfect. It's not the most important match of Jake's career. It's the most important of DiBiase's, And that's why it makes sense to say, no, it's not the most important part of my career. It's the most important part of yours. Right. And all the while, he kind of just maneuvers his way back to speaking about the million-dollar belt. And then the setup. He offers Ted a chance to get the belt. But he quietly snickers as he states that DiBiase has got to go through Damien to get it. See, that snicker is like a... a, a, It's small but golden. Because it speaks to a man who is... He's speaking to a man who's had everything easy in his life due to his money. And for once, Jake and Damien are in a position to make something difficult for this man. The snicker represents the joy of busting a guy down to his level, putting him in his actual place. Then he starts to list the times that Ted DiBiase made people grovel for his money. Watch the tone shift, because you're seeing to see the, the anger start to come in a bit. When he says, these people... Far less fortunate than you. You can taste the disdain in his mouth. Remember, after all, Jake's character started in the company as someone who was wrestling for money. He understands that desperation, right? And then he talks about them needing money for essentials. Again, there's a slight change in his delivery. When we get worked up about something, physiologically, our heart beats faster. And as a consequence, words come out quicker right? And you start to see this here. You can tell this is something that's actually important to him. And that's why he starts to move like that. Then the hook after he's talking about, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. And what did you do? The slowdown in this line is masterful because it keeps us listening. Notice that when he started talking about the underprivileged, it could have become a full on rant, right? But he breaks it up with a slow line. What did you do? And this is surprising. Especially in the context of a wrestling promo. That's why you can't help but listen to him. He traps you. It's a great technique. He traps you by by throwing surprises out at you. You don't think they're surprises, but they are. Because you're you're conditioned to hear things a certain way. He says, Ted made fun of them. You humbled them. You humiliated them. Notice too that the words fun, humbled, and humiliated are all colored differently. As they each have a value that's different for Jake. Each thing that DiBiase did was worse than the one before. And now, after all this brilliant setup, Jake fires up. The setup is clear. DiBiase's a shit person. Now here's what Jake's going to do. He starts to fire up saying, now it's my turn. He's going to make Ted DiBiase beg for his own money. And now Jake is laughing again. But there's satisfaction in his laugh, which is quite different than the earlier chuckle about making life hard. In a brilliant move, he then calls back and says, this time, it's going to be you, the one that's humbled. This time, it's going to be you, the one that's humiliated. This time, it's going to be you that grovels for the money. The repetition of the word this time tells the audience that in fact, this time, it will be different. And you should notice too, the emphasis he gives each one of them as well. A poor promo would have said them all the same. And how appropriate that the money you'll be groveling for is your very own a victim of your own greed. It's a great closing line because he cast Ted DiBiase as the victim after DiBiase himself has victimized so many. This would have been enough, but then he adds, you'll be wallowing in the muck of avarice. Really cool ending. Gene uh, is speechless and with good reason. Look, this promo's perfect. It gets the whole story across in one minute. It has tone changes, surprise, perfect emphasis on what needed to be said. And it also made us want him to beat up Tid, want to see him beat up Ted DiBiase. Now, let's look at a very different promo. This is the post match of this Tuesday in Texas after he's fucking slapped the shit out of Elizabeth
1: Congratulate me, Gene, huh? After taking a look at that, you are a bonafide sicko, Jake Roberts. Hitting a woman? How could you? A woman? No man wants a woman that's gonna lay down and grovel and beg for somebody's life. If it's a woman that I want, I want her to stand up. Stand up and be that. Be what I want. Far as slapping her, yeah, I slapped her, but I'll slap myself. I'll slap you, Gene But I'll tell you something, Randy Savage DDT and you was fine. That really felt good. But the best feeling I've ever had in my life is when I grabbed a holy woman's hair, man, and jerked her up off of her knees Huh? That was good. And then when I put my hand across her face, my man, it felt so good I should have to pay for that. Yeah, I would pay to do that. So the next time you think about crossing this snake's path and a snake chooses its own path where nobody else wants to go, you think about it again. But if you do decide to, please do me one little favor. I'm begging you. Please bring her back. Let me touch her again. Oh, get out of here. Uh, Please, Robert. I can cultivate her into something that even I could oh, want. Oh, please. Huh? I could do that. Trust me. Trust me. Please. <laughs> I refuse to. D- Garetha Monsoon, let's get back. Get out of Come here. On, you, get you the hell it. out of here. You I don't it. want to talk to you. What a sick
0: So, right off the bat, you should see how much differently this one. Uh, this one, how much differently this one starts off as in contrast to the Mania 6 promo. See, so the Mania 6 promo, Jake's measured. This time, he's like unhinged from the start. Because we always knew there was a darkness in Jake. And it's finally on full display with this character. The disgust that he has in his voice as he talks about Elizabeth. And she, he's upset that she was begging for Savage's life. It's incredible. Jake is now fully owning who he is. He only respects strength. And he's going to use Elizabeth's weakness to justify why he slapped her. Because she's acting this way, she isn't worthy of respect in his eyes. Even in the face of Gene calling him a sicko, Jake believes he's totally justified, which is the, 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 the best sign of a good villain. He talks about how DDTing Savage was fun, and you can hear it in his voice. watch the, He's talking about how fun it is, but then watch and listen for the tone change when he starts to talk about slapping Elizabeth. When he, the way he colors the words, that really felt good. There's this visceral growl, really felt. There's like a sexuality to it. It's fucking dark. This is fucking dark shit. Then he brings it down to a whisper next. As he goes, "It beating up Elizabeth was the best feeling he ever had in his life. Things that are important to us in speech, and we're really trying to make a point, um, often manifest themselves in quieter speech. And Jake is a good enough performer that he picks up on this perfectly here. He's also so descriptive too as he talks about picking her up off her knees by the hair. Like, that was good. Like, that was good, he says. That goes into even, he's even into into a deeper uh, heightened state of arousal you almost get the sense that he's reliving it as he's describing it. Then he ties it all back to sexuality by stating that when he put his hand across her face, it felt so good. He goes, I, it felt so good. I should have to pay for that. Then to hammer it home, he thinks about it for a second. He goes, yeah, I would pay for that. And then it's, that's an interesting, it's an interesting choice of words because it becomes a double entendre in that. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to pay for it. Right. Um, no one ever dared compare Elizabeth to a whore before, which is what he's doing, right? Once again, I like the face promo uh, like, and, and like the face promo, he sets up the premise and the premise in this promo is I liked hurting your wife, but then he gets to the point, which is I liked hurting your wife, but don't fuck with me. The whole point of this promo is don't fuck with me, but he can't help himself. He wants to do all this again because he loved hurting her so much. And he finishes by saying, please do me one little favor. When you come and fight me, I'm I'm begging you, please bring her back. And I'm begging you is a perfect example of an insert, which gives a phrase more meaning. See, he could say, please do me one little favor, bring her back. It would work on his own. But instead he says, please do me one little favor. I'm begging you, please bring her back. It really sells the enjoyment and the arousal he is getting with just the thought of hitting her again. Once again, it just colors the speech brilliantly. We want to know how characters feel about certain things. Jean is disgusted. We're all disgusted. And then Jake finishes with this like, I could cultivate her into something that even I could want. Whoa. Like, it's such a fucking dark idea. Like, he gets off on hurting her and... The threat is not just hurting her anymore. It's the corruption of her. And Elizabeth in this, in this company represents innocence. It's a really kind of interesting, deep promo. And holy shit, what a promo. In under two years, Gene Okerlund has gone from comparing Jake to Longfellow to be just utterly disgusted with his presence. The promo tells the story, but at the same time makes the audience long for more. This promo is a minute 25 seconds. It's more effective than any 20-minute monologue that's opened raw since 1997. Jake's a master. This is an easy 10-on-10. He's economical with his time and has a fantastic grasp of effective yet simple acting techniques which punch up everything he says. What an incredibly unique promo. All right, next category, importance. So I think this is where Jake maybe gets dinged a little bit. As much as he's a brilliant performer... I'm going to ask a crazy question. He's brilliant. Would the company have really suffered that much if he had not been there? I love his feuds. But a lot of them are filler. And for guys with nothing to do. Weirdly enough, with the exception of Rick Martell and Steve Austin. He gets Steamboat because Savage is busy with steel. He gets Andre who's coming down the card. Dibiase the same. Earthquake is kind of done by a threat by the time he fights Jake. He does score well on three important factors, though. He brings Randy Savage back to the promotion in 91. Helps make him relevant again. He's such an evil piece of shit that he turns an Undertaker face. And he does help build up Steve Austin. I think the Austin thing is big. Um, But I think Savage would have found another way. Taker was on his way to face him anyway. He got cheered when he beat Hogan at Survivor Series 91. Austin, though, wouldn't have gotten 316 without Jake. I don't know how much Jake had to do with that, but his character needed to exist in that world for Austin to say that, and that's one of the things that made him huge. I think we can say, too, that Jake was very much in the right place at the right time for his big run. It didn't matter that he didn't win titles because he was a really important cog in the machine during the absolute peak of the business. Hogan needed over-undercard attractions, and Jake is exactly that. I think, actually, too, history is probably even kinder to him if he sticks around a bit longer in 92, by mid-year, we really needed some over-characters. And maybe, with the momentum of his 92 run, he could have been in line for a shot at the title, the world title, Would the WWF had been better off with psychotic Jake Roberts in the Yokozuna role. I could see great matches with him against Bret, Undertaker, hell, even Hogan. I love the idea of him carrying around the WWF championship inside the bag with a Cobra. There's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's probably some really interesting fantasy booking that could have happened. It's probably a bigger what if than we think. Something to think about too with importance is does a guy like Jake have the best matches on the shows or the worst matches on the shows? So of all the single matches on pay-per-view, he doesn't have one that's the best on the show. Six times though, he has the worst match on a pay-per-view. So out of 19 pay-per-view appearances, not counting Royal Rumbles, almost a third of the time, he has the worst match on the show for me. I don't know what it is with him that just didn't click on that stage. He's a guy who's universally lauded as one of the best workers of all time, and yet the matches are not there. I brought up Warrior at the start, but he's kind of like a mirror version of Ultimate Warrior. He's like the reverse flash Ultimate Warrior. Because like, Warriors in-ring work Like When we talk about his work, what the hell am I going to say? Like, We'll talk about his intensity and stuff, but he's not a polished worker like Jake is. But then almost all of Warrior's big matches are meaningful and good. Warrior also has the elusive classic matches that Jake never seemed to be able to achieve. And against the same opponents, mind you. Um, All that to be said, um, in terms of importance, um, I'm going to give Jake a 5. And I know that probably seems low, but... I really think there's something to the argument that if he wasn't there, I don't think it would have changed that much. We would have missed some great stuff, but I don't know if it would have mattered. It kind of makes me sad. Okay, next character, presentation. Let's start with the theme music. So you're hearing it now, you heard it off the top. Fuck, it's good, right? That guitar riff, it, it lets us know something important's coming the build is slow but perfect for a snack. and the climax usually hits just as he enters the ring Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. that, oh I like his trust me music it's okay but I think it's a step behind his face stuff. It, it actually was the perfect encapsulation of from listening to that music which, fun, fun trivia fact the first time we heard it was in the build up to the, uh, the main event I think it was on the main event actually where you see Hogan working out to get ready for Andre this music plays um, but what the, this music gave me was that like something dangerous is about to happen I feel like danger is on its way now we had no idea how it was going to get until the fall of 1991 um, but yeah like there's, there's, an, a, there's uh, an imminent threat with this music I, I love it. Jake had no title reigns, uh, but he was always presented near main event. And the DDT was always presented as a move that would kill you dead in an instant. Even when you turned in 96, wearing that bright green, dumbass vest, the announcer still treated him like a legend. Despite the fact that at this point, he's probably the 7th or 8th face in the promotion. As opposed to the 80s, when he's probably number 3. You know, depending on the time, maybe if you maybe like for that period, that short period before the mega powers exploded, you probably had Hogan, Savage Warrior as the top three and he'd be four be him or Duggan. But I think Jake was probably higher. Um, You know, but at the time too, when Jake was the number three face in the promotion, this was a time when faces made people happy instead of getting them to chant bullshit or sing songs about how they suck. We wouldn't sing that to Jake. Are you insane? He'd probably kill us and put a snake on our corpses. Jake was also always awesome with how he dressed in the ring. One of the things I wish there was more of in today's wrestling is variety in attire. I got to give Seth Rollins credit for that today. He's one of those few dudes who actually does it. Um, I guess in some ways, like a guy like AJ Styles does it too. But I just really love that Jake came out with all sorts of different tights. And they're all pretty spectacular. Here are my five favorites. So first, um, fluorescent green with purple snakes. This is from the Saturday Night's Main Event where he almost kills Ricky Steamboat. And it looked so weird when I watched it recently. Like, why is this dark asshole who's about to break a guy's neck dressed like the teen section from a Sears catalog? But Whatever, I liked it. Number four, green tights with Jake's head on the side uh, with Medusa snakes coming out of his head. That's at WrestleMania five, And I think this is a variation on the classic LJN figure look. But, but the snakes are removed and instead he has a mythical bitch in his place. Number three, WrestleMania 7, the black tights with golden snake outlines. I like it because it's really basic and I'd like to think that the darker tone of it is foreshadowing. I don't know if he's new, he's going to go heel yet, but like he's about to bring some major darkness to this promotion. I, I, I really like these tights for that. Maybe losing the eye was just the beginning. Number two, Black snakes on red tights, WrestleMania four. I love the idea that Jake is the actual devil. And these pants make him look like he just stepped out of hell. The red is so bright. It's a weird color for him. Like it just, it's strange, but I love it. But his number one look is gotta be for me. The black tights with flames from this Tuesday in Texas. I mean, you could easily insert the blue ones from the 92 rumble. Whatever. It's a toss up, right? If Face Jake, if you suspected that Face Jake might be the devil, Heal, De- Heal Jake is clearly the devil just left hell and started wrestling. I love the flames going up and down his legs, and the flames becoming snakes is such a cool touch. They nailed the presentation of this character here. They just made him look sinister as fuck, man. He was scary. He was a scary dude. Factoring into presentation two, I- I'm going to look at his merch, because I think this is kind of part of it. You can kind of tell who they're behind, right? think they I think they only ever had one shirt for the guy a green shirt with Jake the Snake Roberts across it and the S and snake was a snake but that's it how does this dude only have one shirt and why aren't there more snakes on it where's the stuffed Damien where's the the live cobra with a terrarium Jesus Christ they sold a snake for Santino Morella you can't sell a snake for a dude whose identity is based on him being a snake Every poster they made of the guy too was also too dark. I can't put that in my room. It looks like a fucking uh, 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 impromptu g- camera shot of a porn set. It's this dude in red lighting. He's caressing a snake. It's weird enough. But then you factor in the mustache. The whole thing screams porn. A word too about his LJN figure. Look great. Awesome green pants, purple snakes. Good enough face scan for the era. They came with a snake, which is great. Why are his hands in the air, though? It's like he's doing the Bret Hart pose at shoulder level, which this made him incredibly difficult to play with, and I was always scared of breaking him. Then his Hasbro figure comes out. Fine. But the action is the arm that jerks back for a punch. Could one, could just one of his figures have his arms in a position for the goddamn DDT? King Kong Bundy's figure had his arms in the position for a DDT, and I'm DDTing guys with Bundy in my living room. Look, everything besides his merch, I think, from top to bottom with this dude was was really well synchronized. The look, I mean, fuck, he even looked like a snake. His hair looked like many snakes. His mustache looked exactly like the kind of mustache a snake would have. It might have even been a snake. It all painted the same picture. This was a dangerous guy who could and will hurt you. And he was always a threat. Presentation score. There's a lot of consistency there, which I really appreciate. I'm going seven for Jake Roberts. Feuds. I'm going eight. As much as I said, Jake's feuds could have been conceivably removed from the promotion with little consequence. That really has no bearing on how much I enjoyed them. They were all personal blood feuds. They involve breaking a dude's neck, getting your head bashed in with a guitar, a man trying to fuck your wife, giving a giant a heart attack, then getting murdered by him, fighting a street fighter who bred rats, getting blinded, ruining the lives of a newlywed couple. There was no way not to be invested in them. He sucked you in and made everything he did feel important in the moment. He was 100% committed to everything he did. And it really set him apart from the rest of the pack. Even his 96 stuff felt personal with Lawler, Cornette, and Austin. The dude just knew how to put a feud together. Final category. I doubt you've been falling around. I'll tell you the score at the end. Final category, Moments. I got a 7 out of 10. The highs are high. Very high. I just wish there was a bit more meat on the bone here to really propel him to the tippy top of this category. Because when you look back at his career, you don't get Hogan slamming Andre moment or or Austin with one foot on McMahon at WrestleMania 15, his arms in the air, or hell, even Daniel Bryan winning the titles WrestleMania 30. You don't have to win a title to have a great moment. And he has great moments, but he doesn't have that top, top, top one, right? You have a lot of great mid-card stuff, but not a ton of top-notch individual moments. I think he definitely deserves credit for creating the entire blindfold match. I know I'm going to go back to this. And really, the whole thing should be looked at as a triumph. There was so much cachet in the character that he led the audience participation. Like, people were into this match, despite what internet commentators say. His command over the audience that night was spectacular. And it's hard to see too many other people succeeding at it. Throw in killing Steamboat, teaming with Cooper, winning the first Survivor Series match, selling the first Rumble, almost murdering Andre, fighting Andre, getting killed by money. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Jake the Snake felt like an event. So much so that he is heavily featured on many of the old Saturday Night's Main events. But break it down to an individual level. So you got these all-time moments that we talked about, right? But like, just imagine a kid at a show. What's he talking about the next day? He's talking about a snake and a DDT after you're looking at Jake Roberts show. I think his best angle for sure has to be tormenting Savage and Elizabeth. I think it's perfection top to bottom. I think his worst angle is probably, um, I think it's easy to say Jerry Lawler. Like, but I'm going to go instead with bad news. Brown, the feud snakes versus rats. I think is dumb. Now, if Bad news had been breeding urban mongooses, totally different story. Jake's single worst moment. Obviously, if this wasn't only WWF, it's Heroes of Wrestling using the snake as a pinus. But I think on WWF TV, it's got to be the, getting the booze poured down his throat by Jerry Lawler. It's especially sad in retrospect, but really, I, why couldn't he just beat the guy who'd been making fun of his alcoholism for months? Like, why not tell a nice story And that's the end of the feud. It's Lawler humiliating him. Jake's single best moment. It's the snake attack. But there's one moment in particular. After Savage has been bitten and removed from the ring, there is a camera shot that does not get used nearly enough. Jake is crouching in the corner, Across the ring. And this cobra is now poised. Like it's kind of like propped up, ready to pounce. And Jake locks eyes with the cobra and smiles. He's laughing and smiling, looking at the cobra. Fuck, it is perfection. It's the character perfectly encapsulated in one single shot. I mean, the whole angle was incredible and really quite insane. I mean, there's children crying in the audience. And of course they were. A Snake was attacking a man in the ring. Then that guy got up and he was clearly poisoned. And then another man taunted him while the owner of the promotion screamed, for God's sake, get Randy Savage out of there. But that shot is beautiful. It should be in there open. It should be everywhere. There should be something they're celebrating because it's the craziest thing. It's it's crazier. It's crazier than Hell in a Cell. It's crazier than Mick Foley going off the cell. The fucking Cobra Snake biting Randy Savage and then being in the ring in an audience full of people. Don't fuck with heel Jake Roberts. That gives us a final score of 75.356 points. I don't know what that score means yet. (laughs) I mean, 75 might be good, might be amazing. We'll see how it goes, right? So look, when I conceived this project, like I said, I was going to be much more heavily based on matches and Jake wasn't going to go, wasn't going to do well. And I'm glad it didn't go that way because I love Jake. I always did. Maybe not 96, but you get the idea. As a kid, he was cool because he dressed cool and had a snake. As someone who's older and a performer, I can appreciate him as a master of his craft. You can see that he took the time and energy to give everything he did considerable thought. He cared. His attention to detail was fantastic. And he sucked you into everything he did. And when he was given shit like a fat dude killing his pet, he turned it into one of the greatest heel runs of all time. Like I said, I don't know how scores are going to pan out for everyone in this project. Unlike the year that was, I don't have the stats in advance. I don't even know who I'm picking next. Actually, that's not true. I got it. I'm, I'm covered. But looking at it now, Jake feels high and I hope he stays high. Because there's more to wrestling than just whether a match is four stars or not. Jake didn't have those, okay? But Jake didn't need those. He had every other intangible that made for a tremendous professional wrestler. He made you suspend your disbelief. He made you care. Pro wrestling would be a better place with more performers like Jake Roberts. And this deep dive into him has made me appreciate him even more. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Wrestler That Was. Randy Savage is
1: wired to the max. He cannot wait to get you into the ring. So what? As cold as a razor blade, as tight as a tourniquet, like the skin on a dying man. Randy Savage, the last time I seen you, you were flailing like some helpless child, drowning. Drowning from what? Drowning from the very poison that was running through your veins after that snake had chewed on that arm. For some time he did chew. Now you look at my eyes, Randy Savage, and you see two black holes in the sky. But you look at that snake eyes and you'll see something so cold and so devilish and so deliberate. Yes, he takes care of what he has to, does what he has to, just like me. Your eyes, your eyes weren't even there, man. You were out, you were gone. But you know whose eyes I enjoyed the most? (laughs) Do you? Elizabeth. Pupils so small. So intent. So scared for the man that she loved. And what a rush I got, man. Up and down my back. It felt so good. My hair felt like it was tingling. I mean, I had goosebumps all over my body listening to you squeal for a man that could not do anything but flail around couldn't help himself at all, you know. And see the thing about Jack Tunney barring the snake from the corner. Let me tell you something, Jack Tunney. When I was brought into this world, I could not rob, I could not steal, I could not lie, I couldn't even cheat. But boy, did I have some help learning. You have taught me so well. So you see, it is not my fault anything that I do out there. You have given me the right to you have almost pushed the button to make me do it you have pulled the trigger so anything that I do is your fault snake in the corner trust me trust me